Welcome back to World Changers. I'm Steven. And I'm Brett. Today we're going to be talking about someone who had his grave visited by Adolf Hitler to pay respects to him. Interesting. Also a man who thought it was a good idea to bequeath his heirs, his family, with locks of his own hair Must when he died. Some good hair. guess so. He thought so, anyway. This man is also widely considered the greatest general of all time. We're talking about Napoleon Bonaparte. Yep, that's right. All right, let's dive right in and do a quick summary of his life. All right, so Napoleon was born on August 15th, 1769 in Corsica, which is an island in the Mediterranean. His father was a lawyer, um, and Corsica at the time was actually occupied by France, so technically it wasn't necessarily part of France, but it was occupied by France. It was under French rule. It was it was off the uh, the coast of Italy, and actually, interesting enough, um, interestingly enough, Napoleon had a lot of resentment towards France in his youth because of the fact that they were being occupied by France. Mm. Yeah, his, his parents felt that you know they wanted to be independent and. So he kind of picked up that a little bit as a child. Interesting. Yeah. He was the second of eight children born to his father, uh, like Brett mentioned, was a lawyer. And his parents were a minor nobility, so they weren't that wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. um, When he was younger, he studied five years at the military college of Brienne. So, and, and then after that, he went on to the military academy in Paris. So he had a pretty extensive military training as uh, while he went through school. Yeah, he just started off from the very beginning, and military was kind of his path. Yeah. So um, he's in France, like Brett mentioned, at 1785. He goes to this military academy. He ends up becoming a second lieutenant in the artillery regiment of the French army. So it's a lot of words. Pretty much he's in the army. In 1789... The French Revolution. That was so bad. I gotta edit that. The French Revolution began. So they were inspired by the American Revolution that took place. Uh, well, the Declaration was signed in 1776. Yeah, so 15 years earlier yeah, or so. They were inspired, and um, yeah, so that's the revolution starts, and he's kind of in the thick of it. Yeah, so he is actually in Corsica at the, when when the revolution starts, but he and his family moved to France in 1793. Um, little side note, back in 1785, Napoleon's father died of stomach cancer. So, and Napoleon was about, yeah, he was like 16 at this time. Interesting. Yep, and so he kind of became the man of the house. Um, if you guys haven't listened to our other podcast, we recommend you do so. But this is about the... Well, we're in the double digits now um, with people we've done so far, mm-hmm. and it's been pretty eerie how consistent it's been with these great people and how they've had a parent die in their youth. Yeah. Seems so, like about half, if not if more. Not more. I think more. So Napoleon gets added to that list. Yep. So he and his family moved back to France in April of 1793, and... This was that was the same year that that King Louis the Sixteenth was executed by a guillotine. Yep. And seventeen ninety three and seventeen ninety four, 
became known later as the Reign of Terror. Uh, about 40,000 people were killed, oh and gosh. it was just kind of chaotic. It was a bloodbath. So anyone who was showing any sympathy towards the old monarchy was suspect and uh, liable to be put to death. It was it was a confusing, tough time. I mean, the best way to think about it is with the American Revolution, and you're kind of picking sides. Mm-hmm. And if you pick the wrong side in the wrong crowd, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Right? You're trying to be tactful, and you don't want to be caught found on the losing side at, you know, at the end of it when the dust settles. And so it was just chaotic and confusing and terrifying. Yeah. So, like we mentioned, 1789 is when it starts. There's, um, it was up until 94 that you said was the reign of terror. Yeah. 95 um, is when uh, the, they, they get uh, an organization that kind of starts ruling the people like a government. Yeah. A group of five people. What was it called? The Directive? Uh, the Directory. The Directory. Yeah. So, 1795 uh, is when, so, you know, it's been six years since we've decided to have a revolution. It's been chaotic and, and, and crazy and terrifying, and now the people have kind of rallied together and they've made the directory, which is five people that are kind of running things, but it's still pretty shaky. Yeah. Yeah, so the directory would end up ruling France for about five years. Four or five years, Four or yeah. five years, so... From about uh, 1795 to 1799. And, but they never really got their feet under them. They weren't super strong or... Um, anyway, they, they weren't very well... Uh, yeah, established. Can't think of established. That's I mean, the word I'm looking for. When you start something like this, I feel like the early years are the most vulnerable. Yeah. Right? And so, 1795... Now, in 1795, the same year when the directory was established, Napoleon helped to, to suppress a royalist insurrection against the revolutionary government mm-hmm. in Paris. So because of all of this, these chaotic events that are taking place, this allowed Napoleon to have a meteoric rise. Yeah. So in 1795, he actually gets promoted to major general. Yeah. So I have no idea how high that is, but it sounds high. Yeah, commander of the Army of the Interior. And he was a, a major advisor to the directory, so he was he was playing a, a pretty bigger and bigger role in the government. He, he picked the right side, let's just yeah. put it that way. So at this point, Napoleon goes on a series of wars. In the course of his lifetime, Napoleon went on, he had about 70 battles, I think it's 60 or 70 battles, and he lost only seven, and those battles were primarily in the end of his life. Yeah. Um... And so for a while, he was just unstoppable. He was um, often facing larger armies with uh, much larger armies than his army, and he was defeating them time and time again. Mm -hmm. And people of France just, they just fell in love with him. He was just amazing. He became a household name pretty quickly and became very popular. And... We mentioned that the French Revolution ended in 1799, and that's because Napoleon took over. So he and two others uh, made a coup to form the first consulate. Yeah, so up until, so 1795 is when the directory is made. Four years later, like Brett says, the revolution ends, Napoleon takes over. Mm -hmm. 
So we'll talk about this later, but Napoleon was very cunning and he took advantage of situations very well. So during those four years, he was in a series of battles, winning over people. He was in Egypt and Austria. He thought about going to Britain. I, I think his, his, he fought in the Ottoman Empire and, and Syria and modern-day Israel. So he was just all over the place. And while he's in Egypt after a successful battle, he hears about the shakiness of the foundation of the directory. He heads back. Two other guys, they take over and they form the consulate. Mm-hmm. Which, what does that remind me of? triumvirate which if you haven't listened yeah listen to our podcast on julius caesar because it's pretty eerie how similar a a lot of these generals stories are and how they influence each other how they influence each other yeah let's talk about that um later but but yeah so it's seven it's 1799 and napoleon has taken over and now is pretty much a dictator yep he made a lot of changes. He reformed the economy, uh, the legal system, the education system, and religion. Um, religion. He reinstated Roman Catholicism as the state religion of France. Um, but he did negotiate peace. So there was a three-year peace under his rule from 1799 to 1802. And probably partly because of that, he was elected consul for life in 1802. So the people liked him. He was making some good, some good changes. They thought, and so he was put in that uh, position for life. Yeah. So 1802, he was elected consul for life, and two years later, he was pro- proclaimed emperor of France, which Julius Caesar did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty creepy. Um, so he goes Probably on. Didn't get stabbed though. Yeah, sort of. Fifty times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's a series of wars called the Napoleonic Wars mm-hmm. that ara- uh, lasted around Europe from 1803 to um, when Napoleon lost power in 1815. Yeah. Interesting fact, uh, around that same time is when the Louisiana Purchase was made by the United States. So France sold Louisiana to, or the Louisiana Territory to the United States, mainly as a way to raise funds for war. Interesting. So, Britain was always on Napoleon's mind. He always wanted to attack them. For some reason, Britain had an amazing naval force, and he was always hesitant to attack them. He was worried about that. Mm -hmm. In 1805, uh, Britain attacked France, and they won a great victory called the Battle of Trafalgar, which Mm -hmm. uh, led Napoleon to kind of scrap his plans to invade England. Instead, he set his sights on Austria and Russia, and he kind of you know beat back both militaries. Uh, so he, uh, but he he was besides those he had a lot of victories. So he, the French Empire started to expand very rapidly. He and uh, in, in each in each one of these locations that he would win and take over, he would install the French government or royalists there. So Holland, mm-hmm. Italy. Uh, Naples, Sweden, Spain, Westphalia. So he's really taking over big chunks of Europe and putting French people in there to run the government. So he's he goes on a pretty pretty impressive run. Yeah. And one one thing to note is that in 1804 he instituted what was called the Napoleonic Code, and this was a 
government code, which, among other things, um, said that there should be no privileges based on birth, that there should be freedom of religion, a little 180 from the state religion that he instituted a few years earlier, and that government jobs should go to the most qualified, so sort of a meritocracy kind yeah. of idea. But this is important because when he went to other countries and took over and sort of established French rule there, these same codes would have been put in place there. And so that sort of started a snowball effect of, of these Napoleonic codes, this uh, political philosophy influencing a lot of other nations. And since the time of Napoleon, those, that, that philosophy has, has influenced other nations, especially in Europe, but, but all over the world. Yeah. Um, so in 1812, France goes after Russia and mm -hmm. gets devastated. Yeah, this is crazy. And this is the beginning of the end of Napoleon. Yeah. So the numbers on this are crazy. So he started with 600,000 soldiers going into Russia, invades. He left with about 10,000 that were fit for battle. <laughs> wow. So meaning that they weren't dead or wounded. Um, that's nuts. 590,000 dead or wounded. Mm -hmm. They couldn't fight anymore. So after this defeat, it reinvigorated Napoleon's enemies, both inside and outside of France. So once again, we talked about when you kind of start building a dynasty or an, an empire, the beginning is when it's most shaky. Yeah. And that was true for Napoleon as well. So he um, a failed coup was attempted while Napoleon led his charge against Russia. The British began to advance through French territories, and all this terrible stuff's going on. There's international pressure mounting, and his government's running out of resources to fight back the enemies, and Napoleon surrendered to Allied forces in March 30, 1814. So yep. he just kind of, like, resigns. Maybe is a better thing. Yeah, he's like, okay, I'm out. And they, uh, they send him over to an, I an island called Elba mm -hmm. as exile, which is kind of cool. Isn't that the island he was on, Count Monte Cristo? Yes, and they cool. get him off so dope. Shout out to Count Monte Cristo. So he doesn't get killed or anything. Um, I guess they'd already chopped off so many heads in the Reign of Terror that yeah. they were just like, no more. Just send him away. But it didn't last long. He, he kind of was watching France kind of stumble forward without him. Yeah. So he escapes the island, right, on March in March of 1815. So he was there for a year. Le about a year, a little less than a year. Yeah. And he returns to France, and King Louis the Eighteenth just runs away. He just bails. <laughs> He's like, "Crap, Napoleon's back. I'm screwed." <laughs> and he he comes uh, returns triumphantly. People are pretty excited. He's a polarizing figure. Yeah, but people were excited. So this is another evidence of, of how much influence he had over the people. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people really liked him, and, and the soldiers too. Yeah, they would just support him. They were loyal to him. But that enthusiasm that greeted Napoleon um, when he kind of took control of the government again, uh, people started remembering the old times, you know? It's kind of like he got back together with your girlfriend, you'd have a great, you know, Netflix and chill, and then start remembering that she's mean to you. There's a reason why you yeah. broke up in the first place. And so about uh, a few months later after he returns, he leads his troops into Belgium, and he defeats the Prussians. Two days later, though, he's defeated by the British. At the Battle of Waterloo. The Battle of Waterloo, famous one, yeah. That's yeah. And this was just a humiliating loss. And so he, in June of 2020, June 22nd, 1815, he abdicates his power. So he, he gets exiled. A year later, he comes back. Right when he comes back, he starts fighting. 
he has humiliating loss in Waterloo, and then he gives up finally again. Yep. He actually pushed for his son to point in the second to rule after him, but it didn't work out. Didn't work, no, like that's not going to happen, which yeah. is so funny. It's kind of against the Napoleonic codes, which says like you shouldn't be given something based on your birth. Oh, uh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, Follow and then... Sh- Follow your own philosophy. So he's there, and he spends the rest of his life there. Yeah, you have much between 1815 and 1821. No, no. So, yeah, he dies on May 5th, 1821, and his last words were, I wish my ashes to rest on... Or at least... I don't know if these are his last words, but yeah, towards yeah. the end, he says, I wish, my, I wish my ashes to rest on the banks of the Seine. I think that's how you pronounce that. That's a river in France. In the midst of that French people, which I have loved so much, I died before my time, killed by the English oligarchy and its hired assassins. Huh? Uh, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Some people thought that he, we can talk about this in a little bit, but yeah, there were some theories that he was double agent or something? No, murdered, that he was. Oh, interesting. That someone poisoned him and stuff. I feel like they always talk about that. But from what I researched, it's probably not true. Okay. But, yeah, he was buried in a tomb in Paris. Interesting. We talked about, did you talk about Hitler? That was the first thing we talked about, yeah. So Hitler came and visited his grave. We can kind of go after that in a second. We'll talk about that later. All right, let's go on to... His greatest accomplishments. Let's talk about his greatest accomplishments. Yeah. Well, so his major accomplishments were, were military, right? Yeah. Uh, we talked about, he talked about how he won about 60 battles and only lost about seven. Mm-hmm. So he had a really good record. Um, but his losses were pretty glaring. But the, you can't deny the fact that he rose from such a sort of a low status where his family wasn't really that well off. They were, they were like, what would you say, like minor, minor, minor nobles? Yep not even living in France. Mm-hmm. And he rises from that to become the emperor of France and take over yeah. a good good, big chunk of Europe. I mean, it's, it's similar to Alexander Hamilton, right? Like, he was born in the Caribbean. Yeah. Right, which is kind of like... I don't, I don't know if, if at the time that was in, like, occupied by Britain, but... Because America had a... Yeah, there was definitely some, but, some sort but anyways, of European he, occupation. He was on the outside. You know, he wasn't in the heart. He wasn't in the New York. He wasn't in the Paris. He's on this island that just got taken over, and he has this meteoric rise. Mm-hmm. And not just to his own country, but to the world. He ends up taking over lots of Europe and having these amazing battles. And like you mentioned, he he only lost seven battles, and those were kind of at the end of his life. Yeah. And at the end of his life, he started to deteriorate uh, mentally and physically as, as everyone does but he kind of made reckless decisions you know going into battles based on feelings of destiny that he was destined to win yeah and, and but on that note a lot of his battles uh, like we mentioned he was the smaller force and he would win from brilliant uh, tactical methods uh, moving boldly and quickly defeating them in detail cutting off their lines of retreat doing what his enemies least expected yeah. So he was just a brilliant general and, you know, kind of brought France onto the map big time, you know, in this yeah. late 1700s, 1800s. Yeah, one of one of those biggest victories and, and one where he was badly outnumbered um, was when he quelled that royalist threat in, in October of, of 1795. Mm-hmm. Um, it says he was outnumbered 30,000 to 5,000, so they had six times the amount of troops that he had. And this that was sort of the 
that was one of the battles sort of early on that really propelled him yeah. up. He also was a master of propaganda and popular manipulation. Hmm. So it's those, those words manipulate and, and propaganda are, have such negative connotations, but you can wield them for, you know, for righteous and good purposes. I don't know if he did necessarily, but he people loved him. He got people to rally behind him. And that's part of why he was so successful and so great. It gave him that ability. Yeah. He we mentioned the Napoleonic codes, how that political philosophy influenced a lot of other nations. So that was a major accomplishment of his. And more specifically with that is that he he laid the foundation for modern French education. Um, by founding a bunch of secondary schools that were focused on science, math, military, and political science. Um, and he founded the University of France, so made some big, um, he was kind of a big deal when it came to education. Yeah, his, his, the Napoleonic Codes felt like they were sort of ahead of their time. I mean, the Constitution of the United States is already kind of written. Yeah, around right the same time, yeah. But it's still impressive that he was you know, pushing for these things. And it's cool to see, I mean, Julius Caesar was very similar. He got to power, and people loved him. Yeah. When Julius Caesar died, there was a revolution. People were so people frustrated, yeah. And, and when, he, when he got to the top of his power, he did great things for the people. Julius Caesar was also sort of a master of uh, um, propaganda. Propaganda, yeah, yeah. When, when he was sort of battling Mark Antony. Mm-hmm. And a, lot of, a lot of propaganda having to do with Cleopatra, Mark yeah. Antony's going after this Egyptian woman, this foreigner, you know. 100%. All right, well, that's all I got. We can kind of, you want to yeah. go on to the next one? Let's talk, let's go over some cool quotes. So, right. yeah, you go first. Okay. The first one I got is, a leader is a dealer in hope. So, someone that should inspire others. Sounds like uh, a little bit of propaganda. Yeah. Sort of, you know, kind of letting people know this is what we're going for. I don't know if propaganda is the right word, but... Like having a vision. Sort of inspiration, yeah. Yeah, people talk about that a lot today with, like, business leaders, where you have to have a vision Got of where you're going, you have to be able to inspire people. 100%. Hashtag ban new HR. Um, so d- we talked a lot about his revolution, right? And people were revolting. They didn't like the nobilities, the special honors, the dynastic houses. They, they didn't like this stuff, right? That's what they were, you know, revolting over. Yeah. Well, eventually when he gets to the top, he promotes himself as dictator, first consul and then emperor for life. Right. And he starts reinstating these things of nobilities, uh, at least partly uh, later down. And one th- funny quote he said is, the revolution is over. He said, um, I am the revolution. Yeah, so kind of interesting. He kind of, for the French people, he kind of embodied, he was the embodiment of the revolution, even as he reversed many of its principles. Yeah, that's interesting, because he was sort of an embodiment of it, with like the being able to rise from mm-hmm. from the bottom and get to where he was. Yeah. Brilliant. Is that a, uh, is that a Drake song? <laughs> uh, he said, death is nothing. But to live defeated and inglorious is to die daily. That uh, sounds like what Shakespeare said about Julius Caesar, remember? Yeah, the coward dies a yeah. hundred times. But like, you know, the character only dies once. Yeah. Something along those lines. You become strong by defying defeat and by turning loss and failure into success. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he definitely wasn't afraid to take risks, especially yeah. in war. And a lot of them, well, some of them didn't turn out so well, but a lot of them did. Mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, kind of going along with that, he said, victory belongs to the most persevering. I like that. So kind of taking the failures in stride. Let France have good mothers, and she will have good sons. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Stripping warriors. That's right. Hashtag Book of Mormon. In politics, stupidity is not a handicap. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's a funny one. Great ambition is the passion of a great character. Those endowed with it may perform very good or very bad acts. All depend on the principles which direct them. That's an interesting one. Insightful to, into his personality. Um, history is the version of past events that people have decided to agree upon. Yeah. It's all a matter of perspective. And, and history is the set of lies agreed upon. Uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, same way. Maybe the same quote, just listened to by two different people. Friends must always be treated as if one day they might be enemies. Oh. <laughs> Don't even think about it, Steve. <laughs> Not an enemy. Music is the voice that tells us that the human race is greater than it knows. Huh. Cool little, little one for, your, for you music fans out there. Nothing is more difficult and therefore more precious than to be able to decide. Huh. Think about that, ladies. Power of choice. <laughs> I just, yeah. Okay. So indecisive. The last one I got is the best way to keep one's word is not to give it. Interesting. That makes sense. <laughs> I got two more. There are only two forces that unite men fear and interest. Interest. And, <laughs> and we walk faster when we walk alone. There's some good quotes by Napoleon. Now let's go to the last section. All right, let's do some cool stories. So the first one I've got is that, oh, well, it's sort of just an interesting fact. Napoleon was a writer. And so, well, so he would have done more writing if he hadn't been more so focused on military stuff. But um, he wrote a romantic short story. And he had a, well, he almost had a contract to write a history of Corsica, the island that he was born on. But um, he was kind of sidetracked by the war. Interesting. So in 1799, when we talked about Napoleon having a military campaign in Egypt, a French soldier named Pierre-François Duchamp. That's pretty good. Sounded good to me. Discovered the Rosetta Stone. Oh, yeah. For those of you who don't know what the Rosetta Stone is, it's an artifact that provided the key to cracking the code of the Egyptian hieroglyphics. Yeah. So the hieroglyphics were so hard to understand, and it had three different languages. Exactly. Uh, one in the Egyptian hieroglyphics. I can't remember the others. Latin and something else, probably. But it was the same paragraph written in three different languages, so it just allowed people to compare and see what different things were. And that the Egyptian language had been dead for almost 2,000 years, and no one knew how to read it. Yeah. That opened it, so pretty really cool. cool. Yeah, one of his guys just found it. I mentioned, we mentioned this at the beginning, but when Napoleon, or before he died, he willed that his family and friends be given gold bracelets containing locks of his hair. I wonder where those are. There have been people recently who have been claiming that they have it and selling it for thousands of dollars, so... Knows if it's, I mean, because they can like DNA test it, maybe. Yeah, but interesting. Also, a Swiss watch manufacturer bought locks of Napoleon's hair at auction 
and in 2014 started selling watches that each contained a single hair from Napoleon for ten ten thousand dollars each. Worth it? Wait. Oh, so the guy bought the hair. And so the company bought hair of Napoleon's, and now they're putting one. Dude, if, I mean, one in each watch. If I was a billionaire, easy, dude. Yeah. Why not? I, mean, I got a watch from Napoleon's hair in it. Bill Gates. How much did he? He paid like a couple million for those papers, the manuscripts for Leonardo's. Leonardo, yeah. Da Vinci's journal. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd pay more for those than for 100%. some dead dude's hair in a watch. <laughs> yeah. Watch so, me. um. If you're familiar with Napoleon, you've probably heard that he is small. A lot of people talk about how small he is. Yeah. He was probably around five foot six, which was average for the era. Mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know what they're saying. Who knows if that's true? It's probably a weird rumor <laughs> made up by Napoleon. He's also the one that says history is the lies that are agreed upon. Yeah. So it's like, how can we trust this stuff? A lot of it was propaganda. So he had a, that, that feud with Britain his whole life, and there's a lot of art that we still have. You can see, like, cartoons and stuff where they're depicting Napoleon as, like, this midget, and they're trying to bring him down. Yeah. And uh, when he was in his coffin... I mean, he couldn't go down any much further. Yeah, they were making him pretty small. <laughs> uh, a physician's note that accompanied Napoleon in his coffin said that he was five foot two, hmm. But it, there was a quote that said, quote, from the top of the head to the heels... And then an additional note that specifies that this is a French measurement and that it is equal to five foot six in English terms. Huh. I don't know what their dif- what the difference was. That was a little note written by Napoleon. Yeah, he was he came back from the dead. <laughs> but so I mean, five foot two, five foot six, still pretty small. All right, I got one more. Right. So Beethoven, the great composer, his Symphony Number no. Three was originally inspired by Napoleon, but. Beethoven sort of lost respect for for Napoleon after he declared himself emperor, consul, dictator, whatever. Consul, I guess, was the was the well emperor too. According to Ferdinand Reese, who was a student and early biographer of the composer, Beethoven quote flew into a rage and cried out, "Is he too then nothing more than an ordinary human being? Now he too will trample on the rights of man and indulge only his ambition." And then Beethoven went to the table, took hold of the title page of his symphony. From the top, tore it in two pieces, and threw it on the floor. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. My last story, um, similar to how Beethoven kind of reaches through time and touches, uh, I mean, not reaches, they're, they're, they're contemporaries. Yeah. But they kind of interacted. I just think it's so interesting that uh, we did Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar had that moment when he was inspired by Alexander the Great. And... Now we're doing Julius Caesar, who, sorry, now we're doing Napoleon, who was directly inspired by Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great. And you mentioned that Hitler paid homage to Napoleon's grave because he looked up to him as well. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so interesting that all four of these guys who are in the top, you know, handful of greatest generals of all time kind of reached through time and kind of connected with each other and there's some kind of eerie things we talked about the consulate and the triumphant you know Mm -hmm. and we talked about Hitler and how he couldn't take over Britain and he couldn't take over Russia yeah Russia killed him when he went to Russia that was his big mistake he lost so many of his people in the freezing cold into starvation yeah that's what happened with Napoleon. He could not get Britain 
and when he went to Russia, it just decimated his army. Like, yeah. imagine. Just kind of funny. It's just interesting to see these parallels. And, it's, and we'll talk about this in our next section, but just to see his legacy and how it is compared to these other men who were similar. Yeah. All right, well, let's go into our last section and just do a quick uh, summary about why we think Napoleon should be on this list. So I just wrote down a few characteristics, and ambition is one. And we talked about how that can be used for good or bad. And Napoleon, it seems like he kind of did a little bit of both. We talked about the Napoleonic Code, some good political theory, philosophy that, that he instituted that had a large influence on the world. Um, but, uh, but he also was a dictator and sort of took advantage of his position. Um, but the reason why he's on this list, I think, is that that ambition led him to, because of the influence that, that ambition led him to, to have. And he was able to go from sort of a low place, not even living in France, and rise to become the emperor of France, and which which became at the time the the largest empire in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So his ambition, his cleverness and courage, his willingness to take risks um, were all things that led to his rise, and he got people to follow him. Like he was very influential in his own nation and got people to love him and follow him. Mm-hmm. And that's how he was able to obviously get, you know, 600,000 people to follow him into Russia, which turned out to be a really bad idea. Not a bad idea. But, um, but yeah, he definitely had a, a very large influence, and so that, and that's probably the biggest reason why he's on the list. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest generals of all time. Yeah. Why was he one of the greatest generals of all time? He was brilliant. He was smart. He was influential. You have to be charismatic. General is like a coach. He's a, he's a leader. People need to, he needs to give people hope, and the way he could portray that, his rhetoric, his speeches, to get people to believe in him and to follow him, like you mentioned, I think is a huge, huge part of his greatness. I think out of the three criteria we've kind of been working on that Shakespeare gave us, born great, achieved greatness, greatness thrust upon him, I think. Uh, I think he would have been pretty great regardless of where he was born because of his ambition. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was born low and had this amazing rise. But I do think a big part of his greatness was the fact that there was a lot of turmoil. Yeah. If you're a military general and you're brilliant and you're born in a, a period of time, in a century of peace, what do you do? You take over lands? Maybe, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you take over the world. But the fact that there was this revolution that allowed him to, to climb quickly, I think that really ex- that kind of accentuated his greatness and made him, like we've mentioned, the greatest general of all time and someone who we think is one of the greatest people that have ever lived. So it's hard to say who you, you know, what he would have done without you know, the French Revolution and these things happening, but... Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, if he had been born 30 years earlier when the monarchy in France was more established or whenever that... Exactly, yeah. Some sort of period of time like that, would he have had the same influence that mm-hmm. he did? Yeah, it's a good, it's a fun question to think about. But I think the last note I have is that I think he's one of these guys that... He's a Draymond Green to me. Mm-hmm. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, 
you just think he's a jerk and a bad guy. And it's just what happens in history is like who gets to tell the story of Draymond Green. And Napoleon is remembered as an amazing man. But when you kind of put him next to Alexander the Great, amazing general, Julius Caesar, this great guy, Napoleon, this great guy, and you put him next to Hitler, and to think that they're all very, very similar in the things that they did in their lifetime, it, it kind of makes you think a little bit different about them, you know? So I think they're, they're in, we've kind of talked about this a little bit about the definition of great, and I think we're doing people who've changed the world. Yeah, since the great in a worldly sense, yeah, in sort of a, a large scale. Exactly. The world changes. There's people who change the world, and but it's 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 interesting to think about how similar he is to Hitler. He was a tyrant. He was very influential. He took over his government in a vulnerable state, and people loved him. He was bringing pride back to their country. He won in a series of battles that took over a huge chunk of Europe. And the only difference is, I mean, they both lost eventually, but the biggest difference is that Hitler had access to greater weapons, that there was more of it recorded, that the whole world knew about it at this point. The world was globalized. Other countries came in to stop him. Mm -hmm. Napoleon didn't have to deal with any of that. You know, there wasn't any radio. There wasn't any TV or internet or anything. And so it's interesting to think about their legacy I'm not rooting for Hitler. If anything, I'm kind of speculating. Yeah, we're kind of thinking about how if Napoleon and Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great and other generals from the past, great generals from the past, had had done their deeds closer to today, Mm -hmm. we have all these ways of documenting what happened. We probably think about them a lot like we think about Hitler. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if Hitler... Imagine if Hitler ended his reign, but he still kept Austria. And he still kept Poland, and he still kept France. Like, imagine if he's, those were Germany. Yeah, It'd be interesting because Alexander the Great did that for a little bit, you know. And they say, oh, he spread culture, he spread religion, he right, spread yeah. these ideas, and they kind of make up these. Story. It's not what he was trying to do, you know. Yeah. He was trying to take over the world. And Hitler it was interesting because he got he went negative when he lost. Germany got split. Yeah, you know being ruled by different countries and it was like this shame and everyone kind of guilt tripped them rightfully so but imagine it's just interesting how the how the cookie crumbles you know yeah hashtag chip cookies <laughs> all right that's all i got you got anything else uh, that's it okay well uh yeah guys like subscribe on our podcast we have a twitter that brett's running so feel free to comment on any of our posts uh Give us any questions, any corrections if we're getting things wrong. Feel free to talk about people that you'd like us to do. Yeah. So that's at WC underscore pod. And also look for some blog posts upcoming as well. We'll start posting those on the Twitter account. WC underscore pod Twitter account. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. All five of you out there, we love (laughs) you. Stay loyal.